Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 76, in which Silence the Aquarian and myself, Pymander the Aquarian, interview Jin the Aquarian. But first, Transformations and Footnotes. For those who are new to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, this is the segment in which I recite my father's book, which he wrote in 1976. That's the transformations part, and then the footnotes come afterward, and that's where I talk about what I just read. All the while listening to Jean-Michel Jarre's Oxygen. Transformations. Chapter 2. Verse 7. We've found out one thing about the Stuck Ones. We've just plain come out and told them countless times before. And they've got it, or thought they had it, or maybe even got enough of it to do things they thought miraculous against those who didn't get it, or got some aspect of it other than the one or ones got by the first group, or put significance on what they got that was really the same and called it different, and convinced themselves of the difference. So it just doesn't work very well to come out and tell them. It really works better to let them remember. Verse 8. Letting them remember does three things you and I would appreciate were we in their shoes. First, they get to create their experience of remembering and feel no need to kowtow to us and or burn us at some stake or take sides about it and do both. Let's face it, we've done that before. It's boring. Second, they get to be responsible for what they've created instead of letting someone else take the burden on. You and I, we've had enough of both fame and burdens other than our own. Third, they get to play constructive flesh place games and message on their own, instead of droving in stadiums expecting us to do it all for them. Verse 9. Let's face it, you and I. The Piscean Age is over and done with. If we are to mass together in crowds, let's do it to celebrate each other. Jesus already did his trip. Let's create space for flesh place fear junkies to get what it really is. He sort of goes back and forth. He's talking about things, you know, in in past tense in this life as well as in previous lives or speaking generally kind of on behalf of the Elohim created us in our image. We'll get to that later in the interview. Uh, there's just the all, the I, the we, the little microbes that, you know, decided to create multicellular organisms out of their uh, gooey, you know, uh, web matrix thing. You know how it is. Yeah, you tell them, and they they think they've got it. You know, what is the it that they think they've got? Well, you know, if I tried to put it into words, I'd be doing the very thing. All is one. One is all. All is three. All is none. Whatever, whatever you want. Uh, east is west. West is east. Whatever I put out there can be twisted, can be agreed upon by some and disagreed upon by others and misinterpreted and taken a different direction and gone in totally bizarre directions with. 
whatever it is, the thing that you try to make that golden calf phrase that will sum everything up and solve everyone's problems and they'll all live happily ever after forever. So it just doesn't work very well. It's better to let people remember. Remember what? Remember, put back together, to bring the pieces back together. To bring the pieces back together, rediscover communication. Schism by tool. What was I talking about? The words really stand by themselves. And again, letting them remember does things you and I would appreciate where we in where we are in their shoes. So, you know, in a certain sense, he's talking to people who are already in those shoes and he's kind of coyly talking about the thing that he's doing as he's doing it. Or he's talking to someone else who understands or someone who likes to be in agreement with intelligent sounding people. Some people have been a little bit put off by the line, Jesus already did his trip. You know, I mean, as for whether it's disrespectful or not, did uh, to do a trip, to do a, a trip around, to live a life, to be born and, and become an adult and pass on, you know, it's a roller coaster ride in this context to, to do a, to do a thing, to have a mission, to have a voice, to do a thing, to have a church that grows and then splits off into other churches that's been done. You know, he's saying, yeah, no, let's not just do that again. Let's not come out and say, Oh, well I have an even newer message again. You know, like Joseph Smith style, add another chapter on at the end. He's talking about people, celebrating each other, celebrating their differences, celebrating the diversity. You know, it's some vision of some some utopia that hasn't really been realized yet or maybe has and is in various little pockets. The Piscean Age being the the last 2,000 years, over and done with, you know, talking about if there's going to be some guy up on a stage and we're all, you know, there to see his trip, that he's, he's calling that Piscean and that there's some other new thing that's Aquarian. It's interesting. Definitely has influenced my point of view. The uh, gentleman we're going to be interviewing today, um, for those who don't know, he was in the band Yahoa 13, which was the band of the Source family. If you haven't seen it yet, I do recommend the Source family documentary. Uh, but you can check out uh, Jin Aquarian's got the class is going on he's got music that happens and uh and he also gave me the name Pymander Aquarian Pymander the Aquarian a few years ago and he also gave um my friend here uh Silence the Aquarian his name let's bring in Silence the Aquarian later on and pretend that it's now shall we Greetings, Brother Quirion. It's so good to have been here. <laughs> it's so good to will be talking to Jin after we already <laughs> have talked to Jin. And That's what we will have we're done. Pretending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so, cool. How you been? Um, I have been good. Prior to the interview that hasn't happened yet, you mean? <laughs> or in the future? If you were you after the, the interview right out over, of my mouth will before you be, I said that. You're heading out, and so we got to wrap this up. So let's get to that interview, shall we? <laughs> Indeed! <laughs> I'm in. Greetings! Hey. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. <laughs> All right, it happened. Woo! Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Welcome. So we've got Silence the Aquarian. Hey, uh, man. And uh, Pymander the Aquarian, of course, and Jin the Aquarian. Right on. Right. Awesome. From How you been? Sander. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, brother? Yeah, I've been really good. Really uh, doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of nice venues are, are occurring up here at our Temple of Intention. Nice. Up in Shasta? Yeah. I love keeping up with the things that are happening up there. Uh, I definitely need to make a pilgrimage sometime soon. Yeah, You're welcome too. to. Yeah. We'll I, think, put you up. I think the last time I saw you was at uh, Phil's Loft over in Echo Park. I think you were there playing uh, maybe a couple years ago. Oh, Okay. And I uh, I had a smoke with you out in the van, and you had the dogs with you. Uh, yep, yep, yep. That nice. was it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Philip Minig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Good I noticed job. you were in China. Was that last year? Yeah, May of last year. How did that come about? Whoa. Wow. <laughs> all you hoa. <laughs> you know, it's it. You know, we're we're putting out. Uh, we're radiating frequencies that are attracting those who feel a calling to those frequencies. And so I have a fan of Yehoah 13 over in China who is a 25-year resident there and his father, and they created a microboards company. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. have done very well and they have two clubs there called the friends clubs and they invited me to come there years ago and uh pay for all the expenses and i uh took me about three or four years to actually get it together to to do it but i went last year and they uh they uh also uh took footed the bill for rebecca to come with my partner nice How's how's she doing? She's doing great. She's a fantastic person. I love love talking to her when we were all together at Phil's place. Yeah. And it was so nice to meet some of the other brothers in the community, people that I I haven't met yet that lived with you there. Magus came. Right. Oh, Oh, yeah. Down in L.A., Magus came and uh, Zarathustra. Right. Nice. And Sky. Mm -hmm. Sky from Las Vegas. A different sky than Sky Saxon. Oh, okay. Sky Saxon is the son of somebody, right? Sky Saxon was the lead singer of the Seeds, who turned into a a, a Source family member, and then then uh, he passed away uh, a year, uh, a few years ago. I see. And uh, he and I did a lot of recording together, did a lot of music together, and he's on a couple of the Yehoah albums. Nice. I yeah. think I remember that part of the interview, or the, uh, rather the documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's in there, yeah. Nice. So, gee, I mean, I guess I should have questions or something. Um, no, well, <laughs> we can just talk, and yeah, yeah. questions will come up, I'm sure. Yeah, about, I'm, well, I'm it, was about a, it was about a year ago, this time, actually, we were saying it's, we're about 15 days off from last year when uh, I had my first interview Um here at uh, at the temple with uh, very honored Ed, <laughs> and um, we were just marveling about the kind of the interesting synchronicities that brought us together, kind of through you, really. You were kind of a hinge person, and I'm sure you have been for a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we were we had a whole episode where we were just sharing mm-hmm. stories about how we kind of fell into the orbit of the source family. <laughs> That's really a, a great way to uh to put it, you know. Uh I think father understood that principle uh it's kind of like where the pebble uh re- you know meets the pond the signal goes out from there and and uh just keeps going and seems to gather as it rolls along and i think he understood that through time and space you know that uh time is something different to god than it is to man yeah you know uh different consideration altogether so i i think father knew what he was doing <laughs> even though he admitted to being somewhat of a an unconscious tool hmm. he, not so much unconscious but not fully uh knowing where the whole thing was going yeah and, hmm. that he was swept up in with us but uh, you know he did do his job. He did his job good, and we're doing our jobs good at the other end of this line of uh, transmission. We're all here picking up on the vibes and uh, continuing them and amplifying them, and you know we're uh, we're part of a of a of a nice little family. I see you're doing a um, a workshop up there. Yeah. Uh, going through the um, what is the name of the uh, the workbook you guys are using for the? Uh, it's a uh, so many days of um, immersion. Right, right. A Kabbalistic immersion. So it's be a, a weekend of uh, several talks that I'll do. We'll start with the Sabbath. We'll do the uh, Friday night Sabbath and prayers. And then we'll, uh, you know, I, I'll just probably be ranting spontaneously as we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a spirit lead. I don't have an agenda, but, I, you know, I can definitely fill up six hours of, yeah. <laughs> you know, a couple hours a day. We'll do a couple hours on Saturday and a couple hours on Sunday. And I'll do some gong bath Aura washing, cleansing, and uh, we'll do some mantras together, and some of the old source family uh, mantras we'll throw in there. How many people are joining you for this? Well, well it looks like I, I might get about a dozen. Okay, wow. Wasn't there the uh, the six chakras? There was a song with the the words. Do you know? Do you know what that is? Uh, we From were having family? yeah. Oh, there was a song uh, that, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but there was a song that uh, several of the sisters created who were also kind of into the astrology, and uh, they put they gave different names to the uh, planets than we have in the secular world. Right. And they, and they made a, a um, song out of the 12 new signs of the Aquarian Age Zodiac. Nice. <laughs> Is that online? or? I think, uh, I don't know, but uh, I think Isis m- might have 
uh, put it in something. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to dig that, dig around for that. The Invisible String Band had a very similar song. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. The Invisible String Band? Uh, incredible String Band, sorry. The <laughs> <laughs> way it works. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> now, I noticed um, in one of those pictures you had posted, you had the uh, the musical notes and their correspondences to the colors and the zodiac. Oh. Right. I, I was wondering if, um, I mean, because I've I've played played around with like composing music, telling a story, astral, you know, and I was I was wondering if you had any ideas about the practical implementing for a musician, you know, mm -hmm. a, of those, if you have any, any experience yeah. or insight on that. Um, I don't. Okay. Okay. No, but you know, I mean, it's all, I just consider it interesting. Yeah. Correspondence. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, how, how effective we would have to, you know, well, that's something that's left to be done in our future is to, you know, to do clinical testing and see, you know, see w what the effects of, of using color and sound in in certain harmonic frequencies and arrangements, you know, yeah. uh, there's a, there's a huge science ahead of us to, to, uh, uncover. Nice. It's interesting. I've been on a real Pythagoras kick the past couple yes. of years, and that goes yes. back to Pythagoras, yeah. who gave us, you know, the musical scale and talked yeah. about uh, proportions and kind of the invisible geo uh, geography of music. Is that the yeah. circle of fifths? Um, Is that what that was? He gave us just the seven tones, right? And uh, the he corresponded to planets with the notes. Yeah. Uh, and also the color wheel mm -hmm. uh, as well. Nice. Um, so yeah. he's he's the first writer I can think of that really incorporated that, and he did use a lot of this in terms of healing. The yeah. uh, the Pythagorean com communes were um, were kind of retreat centers people would go to that mm -hmm. that weren't even part of that, and they had certain healing rituals, almost an ancient spa of sorts. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, the uh, Greeks did extensive uh, absorption. <laughs> or assimilation of uh, the areas that Alexander the Great, uh, you know, for pretty much conquered, I guess is the word. I, I don't, you know, I know if mm. that was exactly what he, you know, what he was he doing, but he definitely wanted uh, to uh, explore and unite all those regions where the ancient uh, wisdom teachings had flourished. Hmm. And uh, that he was called the great by the Jews. So, you know, he, he, he was very uh, understanding and respectful of the uh, ancient mystical Jewish culture and also the Egyptian uh, culture. They they called Kephas the Great, but he rebuilt the temple. Of course, yeah. so they were very happy about um, him. Huh? It's it's interesting. Uh, uh, in my um, Pythagorean research the past couple of years, I found yeah. I found that uh, some of the ancient the ancient journalists uh, Josephus oh, and, yeah, and yeah. Philo they they were so convinced that the Essene groups 
mm-hmm. of northern Israel, uh, for whom it seems historically likely that Jesus and John the Baptist were part of the Essene order, um, that they were they were so convinced that the Essenes mm-hmm. were uh, a branch of Pythagorean, the Pythagorean cult, and they they all wore white. Mm-hmm. They all had a vegetarian diet, mm-hmm. veg- vegetarian diet, and taught nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it really is interesting the similarities. And you wonder about, like you said, the unity of these different groups that Alexander was bringing together. I've always thought of Alexander in terms of conquest. I never really thought yeah. of a higher spiritual motive right. that could have been there. That's fascinating. Well, when you think, you know, he did have a, that great library, you know, and uh, in I'm Egypt. St- I'm still pissed about that. Yeah. You know, well, <laughs> the burning of it down and whatnot. Yeah, yeah and uh, he knew that it was important to preserve uh, the uh, the ancient wisdom and and uh, that it needed protection, in fact. Um, so <clears throat> I think Pythagoras actually was more of a, um, I think he studied the Kabbalah and went over, you know, to, uh, to the Middle East and, uh, probably, uh, somehow tapped into the uh, mystical traditions that go back to what the Kabbalah calls is the school of paradise, Hmm. which is the garden of Eden in the Bible but uh, it doesn't indicate in the Kabbalah that it was the place of the beginning of human beings, as though it, that was suggested in the New Testament, but uh, it, that it was actually a school for learning the skills that uh, were needed to create uh, the civilizations that had this great technology and science and it's relatively within the same time period that the uh, cuneiform letters were discovered which were the beginning of uh, squiggle for sound alphabets and you know a better memory system writing being a memory system yeah um you know for remembering, you know, detailed history and scientific facts and weights and measurements and being able to, in fact, publish that kind of stuff through, you know, the that great writing uh, invention. And uh, so that was about the same time as the Garden of Eden. And, huh. you know, and it also, you know, seems to correspond with... Uh, some of the uh, psychic legends, like uh, that of Toth the Atlantean, hmm. uh, coming to the land of Chem, which is the ancient name for Egypt, and uh, raising the pyramids there and teaching uh, how to read and write uh, and do math. And uh, so I think, you know, it all kind of points to that period in time that uh, we're still, you know, uh, in that period where we're, we're just beginning to pass out of our bicameral brains mm. and, get, you know, get out of the polarity mentality. Yeah. 
you know, and, and move on from there. And I think, uh, you know, the study of the wisdom teachings really points to that, you know, the polarity has to, you know, uh, have a third point to make a triangle to create a portal for our minds to be able to get out of that box, yeah, and, you know, and move into other frequencies that, you know, are beyond, you know, the fight and flight and the war and I'm right and you're wrong and, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. East versus I'm West, masculine, yeah. feminine. I'm, yeah. s- I'm so amazed by your, your concept of Eden because it made me yeah. realize that growing up Protestant American, I read the story of the fall and that narrative as being an individual thing. Yeah. You know, the individual individual failed, the individual right. has to say the sinner's prayer. But you're talking about an entire race of souls that experienced a fall. Yes. And that language was actually prior to that. I think there's several levels. Like it seems like there's there's the end like you know, the book of Revelation, you can read it and get freaked out about the end of the world, you know, or you can also read it and, and read it as a process that goes on within it is. I'm curious, what was Father Yod's actual mythology in terms of what took place in the beginning, the creation story prior to the fall? Because I've heard bits of his speeches, and I, I heard some of it. It would be interesting just to hear a coherent picture of what that is. Well, we didn't really uh, focus on putting that into, I mean, he. I don't he wasn't creating dogma, in other words. Okay. He wasn't creating dogma, that's true. He wasn't trying to validate any scriptures either, in a sense. But he was using the Western mystical teaching that's encoded in the Bible, you know, as a, the best way for us Westerners to get uh, the understanding of our spiritual anatomy and our relationships on the earth. Yeah. You know, I think he just was right. He was a straightforward, but he understood that there was a sacred geometry, you might say, to the, the body that we're in and that, we are really extending our our limited frequencies out into space as an you know and and interpreting uh the response through those faculties as well so they they tend to form patterns that seem to be the ones that we're supposed to adhere to mm-hmm. Uh, like the chromatic scale, you know, of music. There's other frequencies in between the 12 notes, but, you know, and the Hindu and the, you know, the Indian has those, you know, quarter tones. Right. Um, but basically, you know, he was he was looking at the correspondences between the spiritual anatomy of every human being the structure of the physical form, uh, and he saw the same numerical frequencies and geometric frequencies 
you know, throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, as, you know, we all get that kind of a hint being, you know, into the esoteric stuff. And we see that there's, you know, it starts to it starts to give you new eyes as to what the scriptures were really wrapped around and, you know, kind of more like a an outer expression of, you know, like a like a story is the outer expression of, like, say, a moral that the story has. Yeah. I guess I guess I'm wondering kind of like and this is probably my own like theological OCD having gone to seminary but um what was the telos of Father Yod's theology like what was the beginning and what are we trying to move towards because I know some gnostic teachings yeah. actually in the in the uh, ancient gnostic gospels talk about there being a race of people that was actually all spirit and at some point a group decided to shift shift the focus different direction and actually uh, uh what is the word um kind of physically materialized into like lower zones of frequency so to speak well the kabbalah teaches through the name of god yodevahe the that the, those are those those four letters are code letters or frequencies expressing the structure of our spiritual anatomies and uh, it expresses through those four letters that there are four dimensions that we're actually working on simultaneously in you know in our self or our being and um that you know we have to you know we're here to create environments to promote the healthiest development of our spiritual and physical anatomies so i think you know that that was his main purpose was he felt that you know the subconscious and nature had had all the answers and that all we had to do was take care of our forms to take care of our families and our, you know, and our personal environments, hmm. and that through the, you know, that we would develop in, into the highest beings that we were destined to become. Hmm. So it was, you know, it's pretty much a a system of loving each other and knowing what the wisdom is, the wisdom between what is good fuel for the body, what is bad. Fuel fuel for the body you know wasn't a moral issue mm. it was more of a factual issue everything was very concrete to him in in a sense you know he had a lot of life experience and uh we listened and we obeyed because you know he we knew that he knew he wasn't a hundred percent right but about mm. everything all the time but you know that's the nature of you know the material plane. The that that phenomenon, the guru phenomenon. Uh, I've talked before with Ed and some other people uh, in my cohort. It, it's very hard for our generation to think about following someone in that terms, in those terms of spiritual submission. I think, I don't know, maybe us Gen Xers are, are by definition 
suspicious yeah. of authority and things like that. But I, yet I think oh, we were with someone like a John Stewart or, you know, we, we, John Stewart becomes our guru or, <laughs> right. yeah, or Lee Camp or something. Like, well, like they're still doing yeah. it. They're just calling it something else. Right. Yeah. It's mediated differently, I guess. Yeah. It's somewhat of a conundrum in a sense that we would all like to accelerate our spiritual growth or, or perhaps our spiritual birth. And yet, at, at the same time, uh, there are some risks in t taking the quick path, which is to learn vicariously, not by the actual experience itself, but to learn vicariously, you know, with some, you know, from someone else mm. who can transfer something of their experience, you know, as far as of helping you to avoid having the experience, to get the wisdom of the experience. Like a transmission of consciousness, so to speak. It really is, and it can only take place in the most... Uh, intimate and personal relationships. You know, the master-disciple is actually one of those types of relationships. Uh, but, you know, of course, the parent-child relationship is the first choice of nature. And, you know, so Father said in the Aquarian Age that the... Uh, Parents of the flesh will also be parents of the spirit as well. Hmm. And stop and, letting the TV raise their kids. Yeah, and uh, or any hearsay from any stranger who has not proven their love and trust. Yeah, the kids were so vicious in school growing up. Like I still hear their voices. Like it, like I stop myself from talking and to consider what Jeff Lindsay and you know second grade would say and call me Ed nerd. Oh, <laughs> it's interesting because you kind of embraced that as esoteric nerd. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they used to call me John Junior as an insult, and I just embraced it. Yeah, I'm John Dan Reed the second. Oh, right, where's that? <laughs> make it look good esoteric nerd esoteric nerd <laughs> father actually you know so I, I want to get back to what I was saying about Yore Vahe is that right, right. you know there's a an actual dimension uh, that that has all of the sacred math geometry language, sound, sonic, shape. It's all on the, the plane of Yitzira. And, the, you know, there are beings that we call them angels, but they're, you know, they're just intelligences that are in charge with helping us remember their communication deliverers, you know, from the subconscious and helping us remember, you know, what we need to remember to move us along on, you know, progress on our paths. And Father really understood, you know, the interdimensionality of uh, our 
consciousness. So, uh, yeah, you know, like the whole Garden of Eden story is like, it seems like they were beings, right? They called them gods. Right. The Elohim was the word that was used, which can just be a generic term, but it is, you know, or it can be, an, you know, an esoteric code using the Kabbalistic methods for understanding certain energies and forces and or dimensions, uh, uh, you know, which are at play here in our development as the human race and other life forms. You know, and I think he was just, uh, he, he was really tuned in to all the harmonics of all these, you know, in, interdimensional things that could happen. So, he was very, very intuitive. Huh. <laughs> so it does seem like we all were in a place of knowing, and we all did collectively fall, and then we're all kind of trying to help each other yeah. collectively. Yeah. Oh, there we are. Yeah. At the moment, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Literally. We've done many other things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we will do yeah. plenty of other things. Uh, yeah, Carlos Suarez in uh, Cypher of Genesis, I just wanted to throw in here real quick. Um, he had an interesting analysis of Elohim, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yod, Mem. Right. Uh, huh. Which is 646, which reduces to 7. That's an interesting thing, 7, Elohim. Um, so Aleph yep. is the one, the breath, the fool, if you will. And yep. then the Lamed is the ox goad the yeah. the the aleph is the ox the lamed is the ox goad the yeah. lamed is uh is is libra which is cardinal air which is makes the air move and aleph is just air by itself mm -hmm. and so it starts with aleph the one then comes in the 30 lamed pokes it mm -hmm. gets it moving goes through the yeah. door which is the or rather the window which is hay which yeah. is five which is the human ego which is five which is mars which is all these things the emperor and then uh then it manifests in 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 malkut which is is yod which is 10 which is the the hand and it becomes hands and then it happens in perpetuity which is the closed circle of the mem sofit the mem final at the end of the word elohim so when you say in the yep. bible when you see where it says elohim called the light day mm -hmm. it's just four words elohim proclaims light day and light starts with aleph and day starts with yod so when the word Elohim is the act of God proclaim, proclaiming the light day. Exactly. In perpetuity. Well, have, have you guys yes. had this conversation, Jen, about uh, Ed's, uh, Ed's <laughs> knowledge of this stuff through, uh, through um, uh, <coughs> what's the name of your order? Oh, Golden Dawn. Yeah, the Golden Dawn. Have you guys well, had one that of talk? Them. It was one of, the, one of the reenactments. Yeah, yeah. When we first uh, met okay. on the phone, I told him about it. Uh, my traditional golden dawn training. I wonder what the actual uh, like sim, uh, the actual practices similarities would be between some of the things that Father you well, did. Well, Boda, uh, uh, he yeah, wasn't wasn't Father in 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 the builders of the Adidam? Yeah. Oh. He was, mar he was married there. There's yeah. a connection. Yeah. Yeah. Paul yeah, Foster Case was a full on. He didn't change a thing. He just added yeah. poetry. He just made it like a Protestant service and added poetry, but it's straight up Golden Dawn. That's in our neighborhood, by the way. Like Crowley. Uh, the yeah. uh, the additive. That's that's here in Highland Park. Yeah, it's like a we can walk there from here. It's fantastic. That'll be a field trip next time you come to visit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> been there they, many times. They do. Oh, uh, yeah. 
when they chant the divine names, they chant them in the tone that corresponds with the color and the zodiacal sign that's attributed to the letter. So for them, yod heh vav heh is yod heh vav heh. And when they do it, I'm like, yod, oh yeah, that's greenish yellow and Virgo. And the hey is red and, and uh -huh. emperor. And uh, the vav is red, orange and hierophant. And then right. again. Well, what's it like to experience a reality on so many different dimensions simultaneously? It can drive you nuts. <laughs> it can. <laughs> Combined with acid, it gets really oh, cool. Oh <laughs> It's really interesting. I, I grew up Buddhist, and then, but my grandma was Christian, so I was confused. And then I got into Golden Dawn, and then I dropped acid, and bam, everything made sense. It's just all, and I was like, I've got to like turn my house into this cool thing that'll be like part tantra, part Golden Dawn stuff, and we've got a band, and where everybody's going to be on acid. And then, like years later, I found out you guys already had done that. So. <laughs> well, we got to keep it going. That's yeah. Good. It's there's a certain spirit to it. There is, for sure. The whole the holistic thing. Yeah. How many people were part of your community, uh, Ed? Oh my God! I you know the numbers were always very jealously hidden and guarded, but I think that if you consider everybody who came and went, we got up into the four digits. There's there's a lot of people who say seven seventy. What really? What, what group was that? Well, I I. Uh, I usually avoid like, I mean, I'll, I guess couched in this whole conversation and explanation, it, it'll be all right. It was originally called the Eternal Circle of Light. Then it was called the uh, Hermetic Order of the Eternal Golden Dawn. Then it was called the Hermetic Order of the Morning Star International. Then it was called the Esoteric Order of the Golden Dawn. And then uh, in, um, in 2011, all the temples around the world united against the guy who was the, the, the head guy and said, you, go, you are too screwed up. You, wow. you know, and they all left and formed the Golden Dawn Collegium Ad Spiritum Sanctum. Oh, they were like should, the Lutherans of the occult world. Yeah, they're like, they're literally, yeah, they're like the, they're, they had an American revolution. I was, I was totally on their side, but I stayed behind to like keep, keep the spirit of revolution you going were the on John in Calvin England. Of the... <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, and then nine months later, the the, the, the only temple that was left, uh, Temple of Isis, became the Order of the Golden Dawn Universum. So all that's left of the Esoteric Order of the Golden is Dawn is the guy we all left behind who is now in Las Vegas doing some kind of law of attraction thing. Hmm. He's the guy we call Voldemort on that's here. That's kind of cheesy. <laughs> but his real name's which I just bleeped out. Uh, <laughs> we, have edit, we have edit software for this. <laughs> So there's my story. I spent 18 and a half years in that, and you know, all, that's a hell of a cognitive maze, my friend. Like, like I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I, I whatever that's worth, you know, <laughs> I learned all that, you know. It, but I mean, you know, so I mean, everything I am now is kind of like in recompense, sort of like I'm paying. Like I, I used to be the guy that was out on the internet defending the atrocities. You know, I mean, they weren't. America level atrocities, but I mean, it was just there was a scumbag who was ripping people off and being sleazy, and I was out so there he was like the televangelist of the occult world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came from a Pentecostal background, very different. I mean, like maybe I similar him, in some ways, though. We had that previous conversation last year. I told him when I the last time I ever talked to him, I told him I was going to write a book about him after he was dead, but I was never going to talk to him again, and that I loved him, and I had to do this for myself, wow. and that was that. Write about book about him, your dad. No, no, my dad's fucking cool. He died when I was 15, so I went and had to find this other asshole. 
That's... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is, right? I, I, I wonder... <laughs> father thing. Wow, I wonder yeah. if it Father Yodes, uh, or if it was similar that there was people that had struggles with their earthly father, or maybe just the, the absence, and then he absolutely. kind of was that attachment figure. One of absolutely, he knew that he was filling a void in many of us, even ones who had decent fathers didn't have the kind of fathers that could answer the questions that our you know Aquarian age minds were asking, yeah, or this you know or to acknowledge the sensitivity that was emerging in us and um he played a record once he had a vinyl he he played for us and i think it was called something like it was like it was a george bernard shaw writing and it was uh i think it was, something, it was called like a man and superman and uh, it was it was uh, recited or acted out on record by some famous actors and an actress. And uh, oh, it was called Don Juan in Hell. Mm. And uh, and it was from the book Man and Superman, I guess. I'm pretty sure. And um, and in the end of it, it was like the woman you know, said, oh, now I know what I have to do is create a father for the Superman. And uh, I think, you know, that's what Father actually felt that he was doing. He was raised fatherless. He saw a father, his father, a spiritual father, or and a tangible, you know, flesh father in Yogi Bhajan. Right. He just felt visceral with yogi he wanted yogi bhajan to say yeah i'm your father (laughs) but he he never did he couldn't admit it and father actually was saying kept saying you are my father you're like giving birth to me i've never felt this way before or learned anything i wondered what yogi bhajan uh thought you know during those years and years after about uh, Yod, uh, Father Yod's community in terms of him breaking away and doing his own thing and what the relationship was after that. Oh, he they he was kind of afraid of uh, Father Yod huh. and Baker. Hmm. Uh, slight, that's what it it came off as. He he just you know he didn't open his door to him after that. Pretty much was was it because of the whole. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, who ended up having his acolytes kill people? Uh, his brain farting right now. Um, Charles Manson. Was it? Oh, like did did that totally I take it? There might have been some stigma. But you know, did that totally take a hit on the Source family? Because yeah, well, because sure. once it happened in the news, that was in the public consciousness. What, we see that? beards run. You know, I mean, so all of a sudden things kind of changed. I, I don't. Think, I don't think it had. You know anything? You know, I it, we were in white robes mostly, and you know we were very clean, and we radiated a lot of health and vitality. I I don't think we personally were equated with with that, but I think it 
definitely any kind of communal situation from that point on, uh, you know, had an eyebrow raised towards it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, That's one of the things uh, Ed and I were talking about last time. It's that kind of strange um, tension between Woodstock and Altamont, you know, and, yeah. and some of the undercurrents of, of movements that yeah. that kind of run counter to the uh, the ideal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the environment, the mental environment at the time wasn't supportive of our rebellion. So if you screwed up, you know, the publicity was hugely negative and unforgiving so you know we we pretty much had to do whatever we did you know just because it needed to be done not because we had the wisdom to maintain its frequencies and set a course for its destiny but uh but we did bring it in and then we had to disappear hmm. and, you know, let the seeds gestate, which, you know, we're seeing now the harvest of a, of a cycle. How, how did they handle conflict in the home uh, when you guys were all living together? And, you know, was there sort of methods or, or rituals you guys used to structure those sort of things that inevitably occur with a large group of people? Uh there wasn't much conflict, surprisingly, wow. among, among us because we were we were on the same page. He had a way of, Father had a way of, you know, choosing good people for his experiment <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for keeping us busy enough to, you know, and selfless enough to not fall into the traps of conflict that normally people fall into over the things they fall into it over. <laughs> mm. We were pretty much, we kind of, you know, I mean, it was all by degree and, you know, it's person to person basis, but we were pretty much all on the same page with what we thought we were doing with him and, and the importance of, um, the health knowledge and the importance of cooperative living and working. So, you know, and we also seem to all be on the same, you know, mystical, spiritual, we're willing to take a lot of chances together to, you know, to accomplish something out of the box. You know, just to break all the molds and show there's other ways of doing things that are not harmful for human beings, you know, other than the way everybody's thought to have to do everything that they do. Mm-hmm. Sex and marriage and diet and relationships and, you know, we challenged the norm. We brought in other sacred geometry patterns into the simple ones that had, you know, have been prevailing. And, uh, you know, we, we were, um, I, I was happy and I thought if I die and I have to be reborn, 
I would like to be reborn in in a similar community, if not, you know, something just like that. But that tells you you're living right. And not in a polarity relationship like my parents had, which was, to me, like a torture chamber. Mm, Yeah, that sounds familiar. And you didn't know where to go. You know, but if you have a community like the Source family, village, it's like, well, you know, okay, mom, dad, you got (laughs) stuff to work out. Why don't you go, you know, go work it out, and I'll go hang out over here with auntie and uncle and, you know, some other mothers and fathers, and we all took care of each other. You didn't really need your biological father and mother anymore. And so the kids kind of, you know, started growing up real fast. They they all wanted to be with each other. They didn't really want to be with their parents. They just wanted to be with each other. And uh, every now and then, you know, they might check into their parents, uh, which they could. But, you know, as they grew, you know, they just began to go like, we're just part of this whole family. And just you know, really quickly become individuals. I wonder if the parenting styles of a given generation really shape the whole zeitgeist because the fifth, your parents, the parents of yeah. your generation, they all did seem to have that kind of parenting style you're describing. Yeah. And then you, then the people from, from your generation, they parented differently and the people in our generation, right. they all have their own kind of language about parenting and discipline and the mommy blogs and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we kind of, my generation kind of went the opposite way of, you know, our parents in, you know, in the sense of that there was, you know, you had to really get conformity, get conformed real fast, as fast as you could conform and and uh, be a productive, you know, member of the society. That was the thing you did. Uh, whereas, you know, in my generation, we were just saying, screw structures. You know, we're just, we are all just individuals. And, you know, we just all need to to love and do and do whatever it is you want to do. And that's what, where we came from, you know. But we didn't realize that there were actually wisdom principles. Right. You know, that, you know. There's a baby in the bathwater. You know, you, you got to learn some discipline. You got to have some moderation. You can't always be peddled to the metal sensation and part, partying. <laughs> Just until you're about 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when your folks are supporting you or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we, you know, we tried to merge all the dimensions and all the word worlds, worldly, you know, views into a a holistic society. But I think he, you know, Father was trying to protect us by putting us in the Essene style robes and, right, you know, huh. and keeping us very clean and healthy looking at the restaurant and in front of everyone all the time. (laughs) And it was a form of protecting us, you know, in a nonviolent way by demonstrating a lot of light and health. 
And then we were left alone, even though, you know, we could have, they could have come after us a few times before they did, but they didn't. Because we were just being such nice con contributors to the culture there. Yeah. Everyone loved us. But we were we were completely illegal at all of our houses. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Not zoned for 140. <laughs> it's it's interesting how a generation has a certain sort of cultural frequency they tune into, and that's the way they receive mystery. And what do you think? I mean, they they were parented a certain way in that generation. And so they kind of have a different relationship with the guru and with information. Right. How do you think our generational zeitgeist shapes the way that we tap into the other dimension, the way that we have a cult experience, the way we uh, well, for me, I mean, this is. Much, I mean, I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't think I, I'm right at the technically at the end of Gen X, but I don't really feel. Gen, you know what I mean? But for me, what it was was trauma. Yeah, you're almost millennial, aren't you? So when I was when I was a kid. And people would ask, what's your religion? When I was six years old, five years old, whatever. And they'd, I'd say, well, my mom was raised Christian. My dad is Buddhist, but I'm Tron. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my religion is Tron. Yeah. You know? Uh, Jeff Bridges, the dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean. You're a Buddhist priest. I just thought it was such a good, I, I think aesthetically, I wanted my religion to be Tron, you know? Um, but I, I also dug the whole relationship between the program and the user as Aesthetically, kind of... Aesthetically, I wanted my religion to be people in cool white outfits with sexy ladies with the source family. Well, is. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the relationship with the, uh, the higher self or the self on another level, and it might turn out that when you get there, they don't have all the answers either. Like, I like, I like that. Like, that's kind of novel. That's... It, and, but it was told in a way that was sci-fi, and it was sort of like the Matrix in that you have to, like, remove yourself one level in order to see the metaphor. Otherwise, you just think that now he's in a ship, you know, in, in so the in mantle way, of the earth. The pop culture we were kind of... Um, we developed in, the milieu of pop culture we developed in, kind of shaped the way we receive that kind of knowledge. Yeah, I think that for me, it helped... I mean, because I had a student once that she um, was unable to stomach the Christianity in Golden Dawn. And she was like, I just, it was Jesus real or not? I mean, what do they say? You know, I mean, this kind of thing. So, so I brought her into the temple and I lit the candles and I said, okay, visualize yellow and, you know, the primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. Okay, do you remember the Superman logo? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you remember the song? You remember the trumpets that come in in the old 80s? Okay, do you remember the look of Christopher Reeves as Superman? Okay, is Superman here right now? Is it, Hallelujah. are we, you know, is this Superman? Is this real or is this made up? You know, okay, how much more so is Jesus or Ganesh? You know, yeah. and she, then she was like, okay. I think I get it. You know, I mean, so it's like some people think that that's like a degradation, a degrading or a making non-sacred or a profaning of something sacred that's supposed to be mysterious and different and holy and unable to be explained. But I mean, I think it's all right to say that when I talk to God and God answers, that's my hypothalamus and my neocortex, you know, <laughs> kind of the difference between evil and malevolent. We were talking about <laughs> the emotional body and the uh, the higher functions of the brain that become very 
in, intricately connected when they when, when people drop acid in an MRI machine. You know, mm -hmm. like their uh, their hypothalamus is able to be reprogrammed by a wide awake neocortex. Yeah, uh, uh, Jen did. Yeah, was, was I know you guys did the six second inhale in the morning. That was what you did with cannabis, which uh, which. Uh, uh, for the sake of transparency, uh, Ed and myself have while we were talking. To you. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, did you guys ever have any rituals with the uh, the heavier psychedelics like mescaline, uh, psilocybin, no. or LSD? Nothing. We were we were we just felt uh, Father just you know was really trying to clean us up, and he allowed the sacred herb. He elevated the use it you know the method and and the way you look at it and he gave it an you know a new name for us sacred herb and uh but he you know he also said that there come a time when we wouldn't need to use it all right you know and uh but for now that it was you know it was a great facilitator for you know just getting uh us out of our uh frontal lobes a little you know, too strongly in there, you know, and letting go a little bit and hearing things a little better. It helped, you know, it helped you, you know, hear better and, you know, and, and, you know, enhanced your, your meditation. So. Well, that's pretty much what uh, transformed this seminarian straight laced guy into the uh, dirty hippie that's standing before you today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, he, he, Jim Baker loved it. Father Yod loved it. Um, he never said to stop doing it, but, you know, he did say that, you know, someday you just wouldn't probably have the same, uh, you know, yeah, interest in it as you do now. Um, you know, but he didn't, he never, uh, he never, uh, he never said that it was, you know, you had to stop at a certain time or, you know, that it was going to, you know, affect you negatively in any way. He'd have warned us. So, he, you know, he was into the herbs. He was into nature. He was a nature boy. <clears throat> and, uh, but he, he wasn't so, you know, I mean, we, he, I saw him do acid once. And, what was that like? Huh? What was he like on acid? Well, I wasn't hanging out with him a whole lot when he, he was just, he just happened to be, uh, I probably about an hour I was around him. I didn't know he was on acid at the time. So he, he was pretty cool. I, I didn't notice him being on anything, tell you the truth. So, uh, I think he held it together and then I found out afterwards, but, um, there was never any official ceremonial tripping or, you know, doing anything alternate, altering our uh, awareness on a group level. I just had to ask, because, you know, it's one of those questions you ask when you're stoned. What does yeah. God see when he's tripping on acid? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Father wanted my us stone all to get, off, to get off of all that, and Sacred Herb was the only thing that, he allowed us to use. Okay. So but, it was actually stepping down for a lot of people. Absolutely. And even stepping down and stepping back from the quantity of herb that they had been using. 
and he showed them how showed all of us how we could use wisdom keys of breath uh of sacred you know um geometric forms that we can assume and you know um meditate in those positions or you know or do certain exercises in those positions you know he, even as you speak uh ed is practicing his then, kung fu moves right now <laughs> he's been studying kung fu he introduced you know to us how we could you know because the thc actually lingers quite a while in our bloodstream and he showed us how with a breath of fire that the oxygen actually restarts the THC activity that's already in your blood from earlier that day and we you could get just as high as you were in the morning later on in the day with a good star exercise nice so I can pull that in when I'm in the office tomorrow yeah is, is the star exercise an example of one of the uh, the uh, geometries that he was teaching? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, or like you know, sitting in lotus, you're in a, a tetrahedron. Okay. Hmm. And uh, you know, then there's other ones. You know, there's standing with your finger, you know, your hands o clasped over your head with your finger pointing to the sky. And your heels together, you know, you're in the eye position. We're doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. we are. I wish you could see us. We don't have visual on this particular Skype. Cool, cool. <laughs> what, is yeah. the, what does the eye form do? It, uh, it aligns you with, you know, your, uh, you, you know, it makes you kind of like the diameter of your, of the circle of which you you know you can reach that's you know that's your your physical limits above up above and below and you know the the five-pointed star does it in another way you know so you're you're kind of like a diameter when you're you know when you're in the eye position so you're you're a sing like a single eye a one and you're you're representing you know your your axis huh. you're one with your axis the axis of your being you know it ex extends you know th beyond your spine you know through your legs into the earth and up above your head beyond your head you know into space were there other were there other positions besides the five and the one? Uh, and would like did it go through the Pythagorean numbers or anything? Well, the t like I said, the tetrahedron. When you're in lotus position, you're a tetrahedron, and that's yode vahe. Um, when you're in a five, you're in yode shin vahe, which is you know. The Yeshua, all five dimensions of life, mineral, plant, animal, human, angel. And uh, man is really a six, 
although you know he's five dominant but he's got that extra thing extra point hanging down <laughs> i wondered about that that's yeah. that extra appendage is what gives it the three dimensions the north south yeah. east and west the you know, I you know we're and you know and the, we're limited by those dimensions of which you know our our geometries are based upon. So, so, our, so is five form. feminine then, and then six would it be masculine because of the college? Yeah, I would say so. But uh, we also have a feminine side too, of course. Right, but it's uh, it's a Martian feminine. It's a Martian feminine, <laughs> Givora. Yeah, huh. feminine, uh, but. Like you know, angry. <laughs> but I mean, it's like we're talking about like which end of the cable it goes into the socket. So it's like <laughs> people, people who gender, overly gender, gender identify, you know, like aside, like it's not really really related in that context. So the 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 uh, the number five is supposed to correspond with the moon and six to the sun. So in that classic alchemic wedding. Now, of course, in Japan or in Nordic. It's a, the the sun is feminine, and in Nordic the moon is masculine. So I mean, it really depends on who you ask, which is wow. Rich. I need to bring over my copy of the Tetractus. It's a book I've been reading based on the Pythagorean studies. Uh, mm -hmm. But actually, if you if you chart Venus's trip around the Earth, I know it makes a pentagram. Yeah. It yeah. makes five ellipses around the That's Earth. That's true. Uh, the way that it kind of cycles together around the sun. And if you look through a telescope, you see a woman looking at a mirror. <laughs> No, but it is that greenish. <laughs> they named everything. Uh, they, Maxwell Montes being the only exception, everything has a female name. Nothing has a male name. And they went for some kind of 777 correspondence with Venus as best they could for uh, most of it. So there's the Ishtar Terra uh, Carnivorous Dome in my sci-fi. <laughs> right, right. Where they're introducing pine. That's the cognitive schema for that. <laughs> well, let's let's wrap up so I don't uh, lose the file because this thing's been known to dump if the, lar if the file's too large. So I'm worried that that's going to happen. <laughs> but um, is there anything that uh, have you got something coming up that people around Shasta or people who want to make the drive up uh, might want to know about? Well, other, you mean like the events at the Temple of Intent? Yeah, yeah. I just wondered, wondered if you wanted to let people know because I'll probably have, have this up a, tomorrow. Let's see. Okay. Um, we have the Hanuman Project coming here on Wednesday, September 21st. It's nice. a Kirtan. birthday. It's a Kirtan. All right. Oh, nice. I wonder what that means to you. Do you would share that with Hanuman? Huh. It's the Hanuman Project. Oh, okay. It's a kirtan they call the Hanuman Project. Oh, cool. Right. And it is International Day of Peace, by the way. Nice. Are you a Virgo? I am. Right on the cusp. All right. I'm Virgo, too. Nice. Tomorrow's... Wow. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. In an hour and a half. Yeah. Wait, so so your birthday this is, is tomorrow? This going to come out on your birthday? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. What? I kept this. I'm so excited. We get to talk to you pretty much on your birthday. <laughs> I feel so honored. Oh. And Winters? Mine's September 21st. Okay. Cool. Yeah. 
And then uh, I have that Kabbalah immersion weekend, the 23rd through the 25th. Nice. And then on the 26th, it's a Monday, we have a uh, sister from Brazil who's been doing regular Christ activations. And she's very psychic and has a wonderful way of uh, just getting into your destiny patterns and things like that and help helping out uh, giving advice. And uh, she's a Brazilian lady, very authentic, nice person. Yeah, and then I think that's about it for September so far. And then in October, we have Bhakti uh, group, Kirtan. It's, called, it's a Bhakti Kirtan with a somebody from India. Cool. I forget his name. You guys should live stream that. Oh. Have you thought about live streaming your services there? I am so tech ignorant that... Uh, Ed will explain that one. He just hit the live stream button on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> it's like when you go to post it'll say photo or live stream or what you know and you just hit live oh, stream you mean video it here and then yeah does or, facebook it'll, do, it'll, it'll stream it live it really does it live yeah i didn't know what that was yeah was, when you see my doing I've my rituals it. that's live oh. huh. well unless you're seeing it later but when it says it's but then live. it wouldn't be live right <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, we should do that. We should do that. I agree. Well, I'll try to have that up and running. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that could be an excuse for Ed to go up there to kind of uh, <laughs> set Come on that up. up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Plug in. We're, we're, we're plug inable. Nice. I, I, do, uh, I do love the mountains. I was just up in Sequoia. I took my kids for the first time to see the biggest trees in the world, and it was just such a, a sacred experience. I know the physicality of Mount Shasta itself yeah. must somehow play into the vibe of you guys' thing up there, right? It does. I, it feels like we were everything was all planned out for us to be here. Nice. We just kind of came and filled the space and you know, made it into what it what wanted to be all along. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We're, it's just like that. It just feels like it's some entity's thought manifestation that we all participated in. Your higher self. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> nice. The higher web of us. <laughs> That's right. The well, Elohim who created oh, us in our image. <laughs> it's Cheers. <better>. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today. It's, it's very nice ha uh, to be here and you having me here. And uh, I'm looking forward to us uh, having a, a long friendship with each other. I wish you were here so I could hug you. No hugs, yeah. astral hugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Love you, brother. Love you, brothers. Thank you, Jin Aquarium, and thank you, Silence Aquarium, for being our guest and our co-host for tonight's episode. 
Special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Chofuku Inn on Mount Koyasan for providing the music you're hearing right now and the music at the beginning of every Esoteri Nerd episode. Thank you to Jean-Michel Jarre. Thank you to Father Yod, wherever you may be. I'm looking towards Sirius, though. And most importantly, thank you to you, the Esoterra Nerd, listening to this podcast. Go forth in love, truth, and knowledge. Good night.